0: Well, that was a new tune for the doxology, new to me, but it's good to see you and be together around God's holy word. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We'll start with verse 17. And I will confess, the Father's sovereign providence is not always fun, is it? And I had hoped Lucas would be here and I would not be opening this text up. Wives submit, but here we are. So, praise God. Colossians three, let's stand for God's word. Verse 17. And whatever, and this is no my standard, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong. Well will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Father, bless this word. Bless it to our hearts with Affection, loving it. Bless it to our wills, bending them to obey it. Bless it to our minds that we might grasp and understand it. In Christ's name, Amen. You may be seated. We lost our power last night. Don't know when. Still don't have it. So this is straight for my heart and head. No paperwork. So Larry, I don't know how many pages it is, but verse seventeen is actually the conclusion to the preceding verses. I trust you have your Bible open as you'll not track well without that. You recall that Colossians transits to Ephesians. Ephesians is Paul's letter on the church. Colossians is Paul's letter on Christ, the exalted Christ, supreme ruler over all the cosmos, and also head of the church. Incredible, he is far bigger than some of us have thought him to be. We have thought just in terms of how it affects me. But he rules the universe entire. Contemplate the glories of our exalted king. And then chapter three. Chapter three is probably one of the New Testament's premier chapters on how to live the Christian life. We have come and seen verse 1 of chapter 3. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. For you have died, and your life, blessed, is hidden with Christ in God. So, brothers and sisters, where has your mind been this week? What have you been thinking about? Where have you been dwelling? Nightly turning on the, in my day, it was called the boob tube. Feeding your mind on stuff happening in the world just serves the soul. Opening up God's holy word. Walking pathways of scripture calms the soul. Where has your mind been this week? Paul then speaks directly, verse 5 of chapter 3, and identifies the sins of the prodigal, sins of the prodigal immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Ah, but that fifth vice named greed is related directly to what commandment? Commandment 10, thou shalt not covet. What is God's intent behind that? contentment, and you'll recall Jeremiah Burroughs Puritan said of contentment, with our active worship, we worship God according to his precepts. With our passive worship, we worship God and are pleased with and content with all he does. Presbyterians pride themselves on our active worship doing it by his commandments, but we tend to miserably fail with our passive worship. We grumble, we're angry, we're frustrated. We don't like what God is sovereignly allowing in our lives. We need to repent and bring that also to the foot of sweet Jesus. Verse 8 then turns to... To the sins of the elder brother. Verse five, prodigal. Verse eight, elder brother. Put them all aside: anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. So five. This in verse five. Five vices. Five vices in verse eight. Then verse 9 stands out like a sore thumb and stop lying to each other. Where is that coming from? We have seen. To understand that, you need to remember this the imperatives of Paul's epistles, the commandments the don't do this, put this to death, put off this, do this. Behave like this. The imperatives of Paul's epistles are in the plural. You say, what? They are not to be understood as Singular just to make commandments. They're commandments to me within the context of church life. As a group, as brethren in a congregation, stop lying to each other. About what? about your issue with anger, your issue with wrath, volcanic explosions, your issue with malice, slander, gossip, your issue with abusive speech. Oh, you wouldn't do it from the front here, but you do it at home. Stop lying to each other. Now, I'm getting a picture. Paul is writing to a group of people, the church, who struggle with both sins of the prodigal, verse 5, and sins of the elder brother, verse 8. And verse 9 is basically basically saying, be honest with each other. Sit down, Jim, with John. And say, brother, I've been struggling with anger. Will you pray for me? And John, reciprocate. You don't do that from the front but you need relationship where you can make that kind of honest, vulnerable, truth-telling. So, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, then shifts in verse 12, and says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Wow. 14, 15, put on love and let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your heart. Wow. Verse 15. If Christ's peace is the umpire, how can you continue to fight If union representation has brought in an arbiter, aren't you bound to accept what decision the arbiter makes? You wouldn't work, why not at home? Let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts and then verse 17 and whatever you do in word or deed now out of the heart out of the mouth proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart so to talk about what you say is to talk about what you've been thinking about, where your mind has been, and what actions you do, but whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So... The next time you are angry and spewing anger out of your mouth, pause to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. I'm serious. The next time you're thinking about listening, pause and give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. You get the point? A mind stays on him. He will keep in perfect peace, Isaiah 26.6. Then we come to the shift, and that's the title of the sermon. Cause shift of organic relational spheres. You say, I don't quite understand. Well, spheres can overlap each other and they do, typically. The first sphere has been the the church family. The plurality of the imperatives, the church family is the focus of the first 17 verses. Then Paul shifts and with verse 18 through 4, 1, turns to the family unit. This is a thing historically done. Plutarch, other Greek writers, would address these three aspects of a home, marriage, family, and work. Marriage, your home or family, and your place of employment engagement in the making of a a good or a service. Pardon me, but I keep the cough up to keep my throat moist to be able to speak better. So, verse 18 and 19 is the husband-wife relationship. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Talk about politically and correct. Hmm. This is so out of sync with this culture. It's not funny. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Well, the word subject there, the verb, is a compound word which means hupataso. Hupa means under. Tasso means to be orderly arranged in formation. It was a term used in military very frequently. So, ten hope! Everybody's at attention. They are tousled. More than that, they are hooper tousled under the authority of the sergeant in front of them. That's the military application. The word means to be orderly arranged underneath the authority of your head. The word is not used there, but elsewhere, of your husband. Orderly arranged under the authority of your husband. But then, what's it say? As is fitting in the Lord. You'll find in each of the three home relationships, 18, 19, marriage, 20, 21, parenting, 22 through 41, employment, or the master-slave relationship. In each of the three, it will say, verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 22, fearing the Lord. It all comes back to verse 17, that whatever you do, whether word or deed, action, which is all preceded by what you're thinking about, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then verse 19, I remember My pattern, explanation first, doctrine second, application third, we're not to the application yet. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The ESV doesn't use the word embittered. What does it say? Harsh. Harsh, yeah. (coughs) Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The problem with the translation harsh is the verb is in the passive. So it's not so much the outward action of the man. It's more the inner attitude of the man. And that's why embittered New American Standard is more precise. Don't be harsh. Well, why was he harsh? Because he's bitter at you. You don't say, why was he bitter toward me? Because he's harsh. No, one's to cart, the other's the horse. So the best way to understand verse 19 is husbands love agape, She comes first, even to the point of self-sacrifice, she comes first, but sometimes first is not what she wants, just as First, is never what I want from the Lord. Whose problem is that? The father's? No, it's mine. I'm the one that doesn't understand. So 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The word embittered speaks of picking at something like a scab. Just keep picking at it. Keep dwelling on it. Keep thinking about how she stirred you up. Keep thinking about how she dishonored you. And obviously, with full intent to dwell on things like that long enough, O man, you will develop a bitter, bitter spirit with them, and you will not love her as Christ loved the Church. Now. If you take the twin sister to Colossians and apply here, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, self-sacrifice. So what we're looking at so far, verses 18 and 19, the marriage, relationship, and this is what it is supposed to look like. It doesn't always look like that, does it? But John 21 factors in, Peter walking with Jesus, turns and sees John following on the beach. And John said, Peter says, "Lord, what about him?" And the master says, "What is that to you? You follow me. Some of us spend so much time looking over our shoulder at the person doing us wrong, we ain't following Christ very well, are we? No, because if you're looking back, you're not following him. 1819 Marriage 20-21 Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> Do you know what brings God the Father incredible pleasure in heaven? Is when children obey their parents. When children have a submissive, obedient heart obeying their parents, the smile on the face of Jesus is just beaming broad. It pleases Him. Children, to be pleasing to the Lord will be obedient to the parents in all things. Now, I'll jump to application momentarily. Obviously, if the parent says you may no longer read your Bible, the child obeys God rather than man. I will not let you attend church. If the child's old enough, they obey God rather than man. I want you to go to the store and steal some food for me. The child obeys God rather than man. It's obvious, but in most things, for the children here, your parents are not going to give a command that is against the will of God. So if she says, you will wear this dress and not that dress, obey your parents. If he says, no, you can't wear those pants. I want you to wear this dress up, obey your parents and the Lord with good heart. Now verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate. ESV says what the, what the ESV says dev exasperate What's that? Provoke. Provoke. Yeah. Both words get the idea. Fathers are addressed here because it is the Father who will give account for the teaching and admonition of the Lord. It is primarily on the Father as head of the family for these things. Now responsibilities, duties can be and often are delegated because she will often be, as is true in our home, far more skilled teaching much that I am skilled, but trust me, ma'am, you and I will be called to an account for what we did or did not do with our children. She's secondary under your headship. And fathers, the word is don't exasperate your children. This was and still is a sin and weakness in me, call it perfectionism, or whatever cause. When I expect something, I have tended to, to demand something. And by then, have done that. Yeah. But the problem is the small child is not a mature adult. Hello? Hello, Jim. Are you listening? Yeah. The small child is not adult. Don't keep pushing past their ability to hear, to understand, to receive. Don't exasperate them. But the other way of exasperation is for your children to grow up knowing that your call of devotion to Jesus on them was never anything you lived out. It was a charade. You pushed them to read the Bible, but will you? You push them to be prayerful, loving Jesus, but are you such will exasperate, frustrate the child? Don't get angry and blow up, son, but do you? Don't exasperate, frustrate your children that they may not lose heart. Marriages, God's intention, wives, be orderly arranged under the authority of your husband. Husbands, Love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Now question, which one of those two commandments is the hardest? Fact in Ephesians 5, the burden laid on the man it's to be like Christ to the church. The burden laid on the woman is to be like the church submitted to Christ. It's a fearsome expectation by Him placed on the man. Man, you better be aware of that. Peter factors in first Peter two, five. Can't remember, but first Peter, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, as with the weaker vessel. Uh, why? so that your prayers not be hindered. Some of us are praying, but it's getting nowhere because of our attitude toward our wife. So marriage, verses 18 and 19. Children and fathers, particularly, 2021, then slaves and masters. The emphasis here was the reality that in this day slavery was common fare, and it was not always like American slavery. But slaves were here told to obey and serve the masters sincerely, fearing the Lord. And verse 23, whatever they do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man. So the slave could well be receiving a verbal Dressing down with cursing. And the slave realized, You poor, pitiful man. You don't know Jesus, but I do. And that's why I am submitting to you. This is a very clear word to the employer-employee relationship and then finally verse one of four masters grant to your slaves justice and forgiveness knowing that you too have a master in heaven hmm. Marriages, parenting, the home, work relationships, all of it. Verse 17 of 3 is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks for all of it. Hmm. Doctrine. A central doctrine, if not the central doctrine, is the supremacy of Christ in all my relationships. That I am to do everything I say, everything I do, Verse 17, word and deed. Everything is to be done in the name of Jesus with an immediate awareness of Jesus as I say what I say or do what I do. Everything centers on Jesus. The other subsidiary doctrine is obedience to authority. The husband is the head, not the wife. When God calls Adam and Eve to an account, He addresses Adam first, front and center much harder, much more expected of him who represents Christ in that relationship much more. So authority, authority of children, authority of children submitting to their parents particularly the father. This is the fifth commandment. Children, honor your father and mother. Authority of slaves and the master. I was talking with a young man this week who had read through Romans 6. Romans 6 is full of the word slave. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness, either a slave of God or a slave of Satan. And he said to me, My main struggle in Romans 6 was the issue of slavery. I like the image of the father-son relationship better. (laughs) Well, I get that. But I said to him, one of the primary foundational motifs of the scripture is the creator creature distinction. One is creator, the rest of us are creatures. Hence, the most foundational New Testament undergirding everything motif is the master Slave, motif, foundational, application. But Jim, what if? What if? What if my husband is not loving me? What if my husband is thoroughly embittered against me? What if my husband is physically abusing me? What if my husband is emotionally, call it psychologically, abusing me? Here we have the issue of the fallen nature of the world. Now hear this very carefully. There is such a thing called church discipline. It is one of the key earmarks of a true church. Matthew 18 factors in totally. I'm not unpacking all that for you right now, but you should know what your recourse is. Matthew 18, confrontation. Confrontation with two or three witnesses. Then unrepentant, tell it to the church. First Corinthians 5 also factors in In First Corinthians 5, we have the man who is living with his father's wife. A thing hideous, even in the first century. And Paul says, I have decided to hand such a one over to Satan excommunication for the destruction of the flesh but that the man himself might be saved. There is such a thing as separation of the sinner from the context in which he'd like to pretend he's a good church member for his salvation's sake. And there can be, from that, the conclusion drawn that there needs to be, for a season of time, a separation from one offending party who is unrepentant, unrelenting. But this is all done under the submission to the authorities in the church, the session, the elders, would be weighing in heavily on this as a question, a problem, how are we to deal with this situation? So there is recourse if one party is causing harm. Further, if the harm being done by the one toward the other is harming the children, then such a separation for a time of healing could be contemplated, but only under counsel, only under agreement by session that we two have prayed over this and believe this is the best at this moment course of action. So there is recourse, but in the meantime, wife, beats in submission, subjection. And husband, don't don't be embittered towards your wife. Sinclair Ferguson tells of a man while Sinclair was in Scotland who called and asked to come. Talk with him about a problem. And the man said, Actually, I'm coming to talk to two of you. You're one of them. The man came through from America to Scotland. And when he arrived at St. first City, he explained. First Sinclair asked, have you been to the other man? Quote, who was one of the best healers of the soul in Christendom, in my view. End quote. That's Sinclair. And the man said, yes, I talked to him, but he didn't help me at all. Sinclair said this man had flown across the ocean to come ask for help with his problem, and he brought her with him. And Sinclair said, She's not the problem. You are the problem your unforgiving and spirit, Name not be named amongst us." Now, what in the world does this sermon have to do with communion? Much Because we are in need of the sweet, sweet forgiveness, grace, and mercy of Jesus. Now, take your Bible and turn, in fact, Larry, would you come up by me with your Bible, to Mark chapter In fact, I think I put it in the book, Mark chapter, I don't recall, 12 or 15, the Lord's Supper, and read down through, it's a portion that was read, yes, in Mark. Yes, and then down through the next few words of striking the shepherd. Okay. Yeah, They will read from Mark chapter 1.
1: It's Mark chapter 14. We're going to be reading from verse number 22. I'm reading from the ESV. As they were eating, he, that's Jesus, took... And after blessing it, took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same.
0: Amen. Consider, brethren, as we approach Holy Communion, the context, the prophecy was made, I, will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The Father struck the son on the cross and the sheep were scattered. Why? How do we understand? Hebrews 10, when he came into the world, he said, I have come to do thy will, O God, a body hast thou prepared for me. I have come to do thy will, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all we gather around this blessed institution of Christ because it is here, it is here that we taste, that we touch, that we even aromatically smell the mystical presence of Christ forgiving my anger, Forgive me my wrath. Forgive me my malice. Forgive me my slander. Forgive me my abusive speech. Yes, forgive me my lack of being pleased with and content with all that God does. It is here at this blessed table that we can bow and say, Jesus, forgive me. I receive and I drink of your grace again. Father, bless the emblems, the bread representing Christ's body. Bless the juice representing his blood to us this day. Let grace and mercy flow freely, for we all have sinned. In Christ's name, amen. Now if you are here this day and you believe yourself to be one of One of God's chosen loved children. If you are a member of an evangelical church where the gospel is preached, we welcome you to come and share in this blessed sacrament. As the man will come forward now, we will distribute the bread first, hold it together so we may eat of it together. Blessed body of Christ, we thank you. We thank you that it is the veil through which we are enabled to pass into the Holy of Holies. We love you. Amen. After supper, Christ took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, giving thanks for his spilled blood. At the cross, O Lord, thy blood was spilled, thy body pierced for our salvation. Humbly we praise and thank you and will cry out forever. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Amen.